Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. So, uh, so apparently my voice sounds pretty horrible. I'm just going to shout and preach. And uh, if y'all don't hear what I'm saying, just know it's good. Okay, whatever I'm trying to say is good. All right. Hey, this is week two. We're on day eight of 40 days of communion. And uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, on your way out today, I would challenge you to pick up one of these books. It's a daily devotion of what of what God's Word has to say about communion is written by myself and our staff. And uh, what we're doing is exactly what it sounds like. We're asking you as an individual or as a family to take communion every single day for 40 days in your home, except for on Sundays. We're taking it together uh, today, so that's how we'll close our service uh, in a few minutes is taking communion together. And if you don't know how to do that, then in this, it's exactly a, a quick devotion scripture, and then even a prayer you can pray. And if you're like me, I've got young ones in the house, so I understand my four-year-old doesn't necessarily understand all this, so sometimes I read it myself, and then I regurgitate it to her uh, or to them in ways that they can understand. But I can also tell you that just in my home, the presence of God has been so sweet uh, the last seven days, and God is doing things among us. So I want to challenge you, uh, join us in 40 days of communion. Pick up the devotion on your way out, buy you some crackers and grape juice or whatever for your house and join us every single day. You say, Pastor, I've never done anything like that today. Well, let's stretch a little bit, all right? Stretch and try and see. Uh, go deeper in your walk with the Lord. It's amazing how God does super things with simple acts. And that communion in your home may be a simple act, but I believe God can do super things through it. And today, I want to tackle something that when it comes to communion, maybe you've never thought about it before. Sometimes we go through communion so quickly um, and so methodically that we kind of cover the same ground over and over again. But during 40 days, we're covering some new ground. And today I wanted to look at some scripture uh, involving communion that um, perhaps you've you've just kind of glanced over. Or maybe you've, you've read over it before and you thought, simple deal, so no big deal. How many understand that just because something is simple doesn't mean it's not major, right? Just because it's not complicated doesn't mean it's not uh, major in our life. And in the first communion meal, or not the first communion meal, but when Paul is addressing the church that we read about in Corinthians chapter 11, one of the things he does, when he, the reason he outlines communion for us so clearly is because communion has gone wrong. Did you know communion can go wrong? The only reason we have this text that we've been reading the last, uh, probably as long as you've been in church, and the, the last seven days we've been focusing on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, when Paul tells the church how to take communion, it starts off not because Paul says, hey, here's how you do it. It starts off because Paul says you're doing it wrong. As a matter of fact, today's message is entitled this, Killing the Me mentality. Killing the me mentality. You know what communion does if you do it right? It kills the me mentality. Now some of you may be thinking, I've never heard that phrase before. 
the me mentality. But yet the moment I heard it, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because you've either espoused the me mentality or maybe you've been a victim of someone else who lived by the me mentality. You've, you've, uh, you've, you've been the victim of someone who treated you with a me-only mentality. Did you know the reason Paul writes to this church and the reason he gives us instructions about communion is because the church was operating with a me mentality that was so devastating that Paul says you're ruining what God wants to be a blessing. And so today, if you came to be pumped up and, you know, like a pair of Reeboks and in the old days, if you're under 30, you may not get that, but... Um, this may not be the message you're looking for, but I believe it's the message we need. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 17. In the following directives, I have, <coughs> I have no praise for you. Now, you want to talk about a hard piece of Scripture. Listen to this next part. For your meetings do more harm than good. Wow. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which one of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Father, I praise you today for your word, which is going to be spoken to us and going to bring freedom to our life. And it's going to be blessing to our life. It's going to introduce us to next level anointing and next level uh, dispensings of grace in our life. Because anytime the word is accepted and celebrated, the freedom of the Spirit comes to that person, to that place where the truth is celebrated. So, Lord, though the truth may be hard today, we're going to share it, and we're going to celebrate it, and we're going to apply it because we want the freedom of God in our house, we want the freedom of God in our church, and we want the freedom of God in our lives. So I pray that today you anoint me above my own ability to speak the words of God, the words of God alone. alone. God, help our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Holy Spirit would want to say to us, and we'll give you thanks. Everybody in the room said amen. Listen to what Paul said. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Does that hit anyone else as being kind of tough? For your meetings do more harm than good. I read that and I think, man, what on earth were they doing that the Apostle Paul was, would say that the kingdom of God would be better off? As a matter of fact, the world would be better off if you as a church would just stop meeting together. I mean, what were they doing that was so evil? Were they worshiping the devil? Were they having, you know, were they having sexual relations in the sanctuary that happens in other places? Were they, were they setting up idols in places they shouldn't be set? Were they, what, what, what was so evil that the Apostle Paul would say, it would be better off if you weren't even meeting together? I mean, those are stout words. What was it? What was so evil about their meeting that he says, it'd be better off if y'all just stopped meeting altogether? 
It wasn't these things that we say, ooh, that's big, that's evil, that's so obvious. It was simply what I'm calling a me mentality. It was a me first. Have you ever said the word me first? Have you ever thought me first? I mean, that sounds, we know that's selfish, but it sounds so simple. We, we can wonder how big of a deal is it that, that the people of God would simply say me first? Because here's the thing, here's why it's such a big deal. Because anytime you say me first, you're saying God, you're second. And others, you're third. But I don't know if you remember, Jesus said about himself that I came to not be served, but I came to serve. And to give my life as a ransom. So if we want to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Then we have to understand it's not about us. It's not about us being first. It's about Jesus being first. Jesus said it's about seeing that others are first. That we love others just like we love ourselves. And this week as we study communion, one of the lessons I want us to grab a hold of is this. The broken body of Jesus challenges us to remember that we are the united body of Christ. The broken body of Jesus challenges us that we've got to relinquish and sacrifice all selfishness to bring unity to the body. The broken body of Jesus reminds us that it's not about me. Did you know it's not about you? Six of us did, so your neighbor don't know it. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them it's not about you. It's not about you. Jesus said... That he came to serve and not be served. And one of the things that is killing the American church today is that we suffer from the same thing the early church suffered from. It was a me first mentality. I wonder, how many of you think the me first mentality is still alive today? I know it's alive. You know how I know it's alive? Because I'm alive. See, I suffer from the me mentality myself. Matter of fact, I, I pretty much, I want to be first at everything except bungee jumping. Bungee jumping, you can go first. But pretty much everything else. And when we go to the restaurant, I, when, when I pray with the food, sometimes I'm praying, God, let my food come first. I mean, I want, I want it first. When we pull into the, you know, the dual lines at Chick-fil-A, God, I hope my line moves faster than that line. It never does because the Lord knows I have a me-first mentality that I'm trying to conquer. We all suffer from it. Matter of fact, the only person in the room that doesn't suffer from a me mentality, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I got this conquered, you probably need more help than all of us. Right? We all suffer from the me mentality. The question is, are we... Are we allowing that to be laid on the feet of Jesus, allowing him to lift it from us? So I want to talk to you real quickly about how to, how to kill the me mentality. When we take the bread and the juice in a few moments, I hope it reminds us that we have got to kill the me mentality. The body of Jesus challenges us to honor the body of the Lord. Here's the first way we kill, kill the me mentality. Number one. We have to gratefully realize that you have been placed in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that now, not someday soon, not when you get to heaven, right now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've committed your life to him, you right now are the body of Christ. 
You are Jesus with skin into the world. Church is not something you came to on Sunday. Church is what you are seven days a week, 365 days a year. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You are the body of Christ. The bread, the broken body of Jesus should remind us that we're called to be the unified body of Christ on earth today. But we, I'm afraid that sometimes we lose how wonderful it is to be part of the body of Christ. And we start to think it's about my kingdom instead of God's kingdom. But here's what I've discovered, that me first and gratitude cannot exist in the same moment. If I am thankful of what God has done for me, the moment I have true thankfulness of that, I realize it's not just about me. That what he's done for me, he's also done for others. And what he's done for me, he did for me before I even realized I needed what was done for me. Romans chapter 12 says, In Christ we who are many form one body. So we have to realize that Jesus does not just save us out of our sin and who we used to be, but he also saves us into a new body. We are called into the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul, before he writes this, he was on the road to Damascus one day. You know his story. He was a, he was a, a murderer, a church persecutor. He was on his way to do more of that. But Jesus reached down and changed his life dramatically. And he didn't tell Paul, now go and tell people about me for the rest of your life. No, the first thing Paul did, or the first thing Jesus did, was he connected Paul to the church of Jesus Christ. Because God doesn't use us individually. He uses us together as the church of Jesus Christ. But we cannot be the body of God as long as we're always thinking it's about me. It's not about me. It's about him. You know, me mentality says things like this. You know, I'll commit to the body as Christ. I'll be as committed as I want to be. I mean, I, I, after all, it's, it's my business, right? It's no one else's business. A me mentality says my commitment to the body of Christ is optional. My participation in the body of Christ is something I'll do when it's Convenient, but let me tell you something, friends. A me first mentality will destroy anybody. When I say anybody, I don't mean any of us, I mean any body, any organization, any relationship will be destroyed by a me first mentality. If you're in a marriage today, if one spouse operates in a me first mentality, it's just a matter of time. Until that relationship is doomed. If you're in a family today and you have a child or one particular parent that thinks it's just about me, it's just a, mo- it's just a matter of time until that attitude is just about me and me only. It's just a matter of time until that destroys that family. If you work in a business and someone, whether they're the owner of the business or employee of the business, thinks, hey, it's just about me, then that gives that person. See, here's the thing. A me-first mentality justifies doing the wrong thing as long as it's in the, in the, in the uh, pursuit of self-preservation. So all of a sudden it begins to be okay to lie, to cheat, to steal, to rob, to use time wrong. Because after all, it's about me. A me-first mentality destroys whatever it's a part of. And it will destroy a church. If the members think that it's all about me, 
But when we operate with an attitude of gratitude, we realize it's actually only by grace that I'm saved. It's only because of his goodness that I am anything at all. And I'm not here because it deserved to be. I'm not preaching because it deserved to be. I'm not singing or serving because it deserved to be. But I'm doing what I do for God because he reached out in the mud and the mire and he rescued me. It's not about me. It's about him. And any moment, any second that I think is about me is a moment that I am wrong. And it's a moment that I'm losing. And it's a moment that I'm doing damage to the body of God. See, I can give, but I can also receive ministry because I realize it's not about me. I've been placed in the body of Christ. And friends, so have you. There was a powerful moment last week in our life group. Jacob asked the question. He said, uh, how many of you remember a time when God pursued you? And we kind of went around the circle and people began to rehash or recall moments in their life where God pursued them. Maybe they were running from God or maybe they never chosen to follow Jesus before, but they begin to tell the story of how Jesus, in their worst moment, pursued them. When we got to the end of everyone telling their story, Jacob mentioned, he said, did y'all notice every story had something in common? You know what the one thing that every story had in common? Was that God used a person to pursue another person. Somebody realized it's not about me or my convenience or my feelings or my comfort. And God used them to be a pursuer of someone else. That's how God uses us when we get past our me mentality. So Corinthians chapter 5 says it like this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. See, we can't pursue people with a me-first mentality because we'll just be pursuing ourselves. We can't pursue God with a me-first mentality because truly we'll just be seeking our will instead of His will, our ways instead of our ways, our desires instead of His desires, our results instead of His results. So we got to live with the grateful mind that we've been placed in the body of Christ. Number two, We have to be willing to sacrifice for the body of Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you're in the room this morning and you're single, whether you're a teenager or a single, single adult, I have... I have something, I have, a, I have a statement that I wish every single person would get a hold of right now. Love that does not sacrifice is not love. Some people think, well, if, if they really love me, then they will be intimate with me and they'll have sex with me. That's the ultimate expression of love. No, that could be lust. Some people would say, well, you know, words 
what they say to me. That's, that's the real truth of how they feel. I mean, if they said it, it must be true. Let me tell you something. Some people lie to get what they want from you. Others would say, well, you know, they really love me because look what they gave me. But some people give extravagant gifts out of their abundance. And it didn't really cost them anything. Right? Jesus, Jesus talked about a lady who gave two little mites in the offering one day. And he said she gave more than anyone else because what anyone else was given was out of their abundance. But what she gave was sacrificial. It was a sacrifice. Here's, here's, the real, here's the real evidence, the real proof of true love. One word, sacrifice. If they're not willing to sacrifice for you as a single person, they will not sacrifice for you as a married person. Hang it up. Walk away. Matter of fact, don't walk. Run away. Don't collect $200. Get out of Dodge now. If they're not willing to sacrifice for you today, they will not give to you tomorrow. Good preaching. Man, I'm thankful for saying that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. No, I don't really don't care if you like it or not. It's just someday you'll come back and say, Pastor Greg was right. He was bald-headed, and I thought he was old, but he was right. <laughs> Listen, Jesus loved the church so much. The Word says he gave himself for her. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. He sacrificed his one and only Son. The greatest expression of love is not physical attraction. The words we say or the gifts we give. It's the sacrifices that we make. Occasionally I hear someone say something like this. You know, I love Jesus. I just don't love church. And they think they're sounding spiritual when they say that. But how close can you be to someone who doesn't love what you love. What does Jesus love? He loves the church. How much does he love it? So much that he sacrificed his life for her. And he didn't do it because, he, because she's perfect. He didn't do it because he, he does everything right the right time. Well, Pastor, I got hurt in church. Welcome to the club. We'll give you a patch on the way out. Jesus still loves the church. But a me mentality says, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice anything for the Lord. I, I just, it's my way, not, not Jesus' way. That's secondary. That doesn't really matter what he wants. It's about what I want. I mean, after all, I have my rights. How, why would I ever give up my rights? Now, I'll, I'll never forget one Sunday morning, the me mentality showed up. Megan and I were... Uh, we're at a church for the very first time. We were there to be presented to the church as the new associate pastors. No one in the, in the room knew who we were or why we were there except for just the pastor and a few board members. They were just about to tell the church, hey, here's Greg and me and our new whatever. And so we walk in and we sit down on the second row. And we're sitting there waiting for church to start. And you know how it is when you're in a new place. You, you, you know, you're just kind of awkward. And we're just sitting there. And someone comes and taps me on my shoulder like two minutes till music time and, or service time and, and they said listen 
y'all are brand new, aren't you? I said, yeah, we're new. They go, well, since you're new, you don't know this, but you are sitting in my seat. And I, and I don't want you to move. But next Sunday, if you come back, you will need to sit somewhere else. You know what that is? Me mentality. Me mentality. Last week, now you're getting nervous, aren't you? <laughs> Last week, I noticed one of our parishioners parked as far as you could that way. And I asked him, I said, was that the closest spot you could find? And I said, no. We just wanted to make sure if a guest came, they could find an empty parking spot. That's how you kill the me mentality. You realize it's not about me. Oh, pastor, that's just dumb. I mean, that's just so small. It doesn't matter. What, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the serving of a little bit of juice and a little bit of bread. And the Apostle Paul says it'd be better off if you didn't meet together at all because of the attitude in which you're doing or not doing the simple things. See, it's easy for us to lift our hands and worship. I'm getting really in your grill today. I know I'm, I'm uh, just, uh, but it's easy to lift our hands and sing the song. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Just don't let it be inconvenient. I'll go to Africa or Zimbabwe, but don't ask me to give up my seat or my chair. Or serve anywhere. We, we surrender to do the big impossible things because we're pretty convinced God hasn't called us to go to Africa. But, man, let's not talk about the simple ways I'm, God might want to use me. I mean, will we park far? Will we give up a chair? Will we give sacrificially? Will we go out of our way to serve one another? Will we welcome someone with a smile? Will we give an hour a month to serving kids' ministry or youth ministry? Will we give five bucks at the grocery store to pick up some snacks for a snack pack? Will we hold our tongue and speak kindness when our opinion is really quite in opposition to what someone down the road from us is saying they're talking about? Well, Pastor, that's, you're, you're, those are just such small, petty things. Yeah, they're small, petty things that makes a place a welcoming place instead of a place that people are shunned. It's the difference that Paul said, it'd be better off if you weren't even meeting together if you're not, not going to do so in an attitude that pleases Jesus. Are we willing to sacrifice for the body of Christ because a me mentality doesn't happen because you do what you want to do when you want to do it? If you want that, go to Burger King. But if you want to be the body of Christ, we have to understand that it's not always about me. And I pray that in a few minutes, when you hold up that cup and you hold up that piece of bread, you realize, is there any better example than Jesus who declares with every breath he took on planet earth and as he gave his last breath on planet earth to realize that the, the, the follower, the one we follow declare with his life is not about me. Jesus said, I don't do what I want to do. It's in the Bible. What did he say? 
I only do what I see my father doing. What do you see his father doing? Giving, sacrificing. That's what he did. Number three, how do we kill the me mentality? I know this is tough because I didn't want this message to be about how I pet my me mentality. How I put up with my me mentality. We've got to kill it. You use your ability to enhance the body of Christ. Verse number six, there's different ways of working, but the same God works in everything. Now, to the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 15 through 19 or through 20 talks about how the body of Christ is made up of a lot of members. Can the foot say to the hand that I don't need you? Can the eye say that I don't need the rest of the body? It, it, it draws an analogy between how each of us have a specific place in the body of God, and it doesn't matter which part you are, your part is important. When I was a kid, there was a show I liked that my parents hated, so I had to kind of watch it in secret. It was called, it was called The Adams Family. <laughs> so you might remember The Adams Family? Okay, hallelujah, I see that hand. And there's, uh, there's a character in The Adams Family, his name was Thing. Remember a thing? I think I have a, do I have a picture of thing. There he is. Oh, you can't really see that very good, can you, on the screen? Thing was a hand that was not attached to a body. And he would just walk around the house just like a spider, this random hand walking around doing its thing. It's kind of freaky, isn't it? Is it okay to say that word in church? It's freaky to see a body part walking around without the rest of the body. Do I need to expand on that? Because I'm just going to tell you, anytime I see someone who's claiming to be a, the Lord, a follower of the Lord Jesus and they're trying to function apart from the body of Christ, that's just freaky. But yet God can take us as individuals and attach us to the body of Christ and all of a sudden what once was weird or different, God can use that. Right, a hand's not weird when it's attached to the body, right? What was offensive becomes purposeful. Jesus said, let me use you where you're going to be most fruitful. Let me connect you to the body. You may not get as much attention as you would have out by yourself, but you're going to be more fruitful. I just, sometimes we have to decide, what do I want? Do I want, to be, do I want attention or do I want to be fruitful? Number four, maybe if we want to come, it'll give people hope that I'm going to quit someday. <laughs> Develop, fourth and last way we kill a me mentality, is we develop a greater love for God and a greater love for people. Now, the next time you're reading 1 Corinthians, I want you to go back to chapter 11, because when Paul says, and Paul says, listen, it'd be better off if you don't even meet together the way you're doing communion. Actually, what he says, first off, let me talk about the way you're doing communion. Then he goes on to say, secondly, let me talk to you about how you're using your spiritual gifts in a worship service. And verse number, I'm sorry, chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul is still addressing 
rules for worship, the way gifts of the Spirit function, all of that. You know, how many, how many understand when Paul was writing his letter, he didn't have chapter 11, 12. It was just a letter, right? And so there's no, the only division between chapter 11 and chapter 12 is for our reference points, not because it's a different thought. Paul is carrying on. He's saying, listen, you're making this, everything's about you, which is why communion is going crazy. Everything's about you, which is why worship services are going crazy. You're trying to make everything about you and your gifting, which is why things are out of order and why things are going sideways and things are, are disruptive. And he goes on and on. He said, here's how you fix all of that. In verse number 13, he says what? Many of you had this in your wedding and you thought it was about love for one another. and It's not. Paul said, if I speak in tongues of men of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a claiming, clanging cymbal. Paul says the cure for what's going wrong in communion is to love God and to love people as you love yourself. The way you get order right in service and the church functioning right is to love God. And to love people as you love yourself. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command in, commandment in Scripture? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right? And then he said the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And someone was sitting by with a mean mentality and said, well, who on earth is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, you know the story. A man was traveling down from Jericho. He was attacked by robbers, left in the ditch. Two men come by, supposedly of the religious household. He just crossed by on the other side, but then a Samaritan came by who was supposed to really have nothing to do with Jewish people, but the person who actually had no obligation to help at all, he's the one that got off his horse or off his beast and climbed down the ditch, pulled him out of there, took him to a local inn, bandaged his wounds, paid for his hotel stay and told the innkeeper if it requires anything else just let me know I'll come back and I'll pay it all and Jesus said who's the neighbor it wasn't the first two they had me mentalities they had places to go and people to see there's a third guy I said I'll do what I can with what I got and then Jesus says now you go and you live the same way I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I'm not going to ask this morning who has been suffering from a me mentality because I think the honest answer is not who, but more about when and how often and whether we're addressing it or whether we're embracing it. Are we trying to kill the me mentality? Or are we allowing the me mentality to kill us? Because that's what happens if it goes without being addressed. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And when you take out that piece of bread, I want you to remember the broken body of Jesus. It declares that our example did not embrace the me mentality. But he set the stage and he set the example for loving God and loving people, loving others as you love yourself. He hasn't called us to hate ourselves. He's just called us to love others 
in the same way we love ourselves. Do unto others as we want done for us. That's how you destroy the me mentality. So real quick, with your head bowed, I want to make sure everyone that desires to participate in communion, you should have received an element when you walked in the door today. If you did not, would you just lift a hand real quick and say, hey, I did not receive those. One on my far right, one right here, one down front, one over here. We got some folks moving to help us with that. Right here, Pasquale. Right here, buddy. If you lift your hands real quick, one more time. We got that one taken care of right here. Everybody on the balcony, good? Awesome. Thank you for helping us. Can we stand together today? Would you pray a prayer that sounds kind of like this with me? Just take my words and make them your own. Father, reveal to me the areas of my life where I have been allowing myself to live with a me mentality only. I've made my life about me and not about you. I've made my life about me and not about others. God, reveal it to me today. Have I made my marriage just about me? Have I made my job just about me? Have I made the church just about me? Have I made my worship or lack of worship just about me? Have I made my service to the kingdom just about me? Have I made my giving just about me? How I feel, what I, what I see, or have I, have I really, truly made my life about you? Just take the next 30 seconds. Make that prayer yours. Father, I just pray from the front to the back, watching a line up in the balcony. God, all of us, God, search us, try us. Lord, forgive us for where we failed. God, we don't stand because we're perfect. We stand because we're forgiven. And God, I just pray today that when you point out to us where it is we've embraced that me mentality, God, we just repent of it right now. And Lord, in the words of John the Baptist, we pray, let us become less and less and less so that Jesus can become more and more and more. And God, every time we crucify that me mentality, we're just making more room for Jesus. We're making more room for his will and his way. So we do that right now. Help us today, Lord. Father, I pray in the, there's someone in the room today who's not a Jesus follower. They've never committed their life to you. I'm thankful that 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9 says that if we will confess our sins, that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from everything that's not right. So, Father, there's someone in the room today that is sensing the nudging of God on their heart and their life. They know this is the day that they need to begin to follow you. I pray they will follow that pattern. That, God, they'll confess their need of you. And, God, in this moment, they'll just ask you to eradicate their past sins, eradicate their past life. And from this moment forward, they're going to decide to follow you because they believe you are who you say you are. You're the Son of God. You lived that perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose again on the third day. And now you're living forever. 
and one day you will come again. So where you are, we may be also. God, that's the great story of the gospel. I pray there's someone today who needs to enter into that story as a redeemed son or daughter. God, they'll make that prayer theirs in Jesus' name. Do you take that piece of bread out of that communion element this morning and just kind of hold it between your, your thumb and your finger there, just in your hand? And I would just ask you, this is just kind of my personal tradition. I usually apply just enough pressure to that piece of bread to where it cracks and it breaks. Because I always want to remember of that broken body. The broken body of Jesus was broken for me. So those of us that were far from God, which is all of us, can be made near to God. Fathers, we hold this piece of bread. God, forgive me of every moment I've embraced the me mentality. Lord, you've shown the perfect example of what it means to serve God and to serve others. To not be self-focused, but to be kingdom-focused and God-focused. So if we take communion today, God, I pray you'll help us live like you lived. In Jesus' name, would you take the bread together this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 24 and 25 says that in the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, which simply means that there's a new deal. There's a new agreement. The new covenant means that once... A relationship with God was an outward expression, but now it's an inward reality. So, Father, before we take this cup, we just thank you for this new inward reality that we have. God, you don't just speak to us from the outside in. You speak to us from the inside out. And, God, though our sins, which are many, God, they can be washed white as snow. And, God, I pray that today as we take in this cup in just a moment, we remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for us that established a new relationship between God and man, a relationship where our sins are forgiven, our life is made whole, and our future is secure. We thank you, Lord, for this new covenant we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take that cup together? Then I want you to lift your hearts to the Lord and give him thanks this morning. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you while we were yet sinners. You died for us. You gave your life for us. Father, thank you that you went out of your way to redeem us who were lost. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just rescue us out of sin, but God, you planted us in the body of Christ to be used for you and your kingdom. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God, I pray over the people today. God, I pray you'll bless them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them. Give them peace and joy both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Lord. Hey, if you are not participating yet with us in 40 days, these are on the counter in the foyer. They're free. Pick one up for you and your family or for your house today. God bless you. We love you. Thanks for being part of the assembly. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to greet you and meet you in just a moment. 
Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.